The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation for any particular security. Despite the long-term goal of a transition away from oil, oil is still an incredibly important commodity for the global economy. I received a piece of work which is headed as follows, Macroscope, Summertime Blues in the Oil Market, and it comes from the desk of Tom Nelson, Head of Thematic Equities and Co-Portfolio Manager of Global Natural Resources at 91 in London. And Tom is with me now. Tom first sentence of the second paragraph of your piece says the following. These are uneasy times in the oil market and you particularly focus on the attempt by OPEC and OPEC Plus in particular to shore up the global price of oil through production cuts. What prompted this piece? Well, Lindsay, it's a great pleasure to speak with you again. Thank um, you. Th this piece was really prompted by a an observation um, that we had seen three supply cuts from the OPEC plus group, but clearly led and masterminded by Saudi Arabia um, over the last eight months. So first of all, in October, uh, then again in April, and most recently at the beginning of June, um, three sizable supply cuts, which had been put in place to attempt to uh, prop up oil prices. Um, oil prices back in October were around 95. Uh, oil prices today are around 75. And it occurred to me that we've seen this pattern before. In other words, when OPEC have historically cut supply, but it hasn't succeeded in supporting oil prices, um, then unusual events have unfolded. And just to call out two particular historic precedents, uh, the first in uh, the latter stages of 2014, um, when a very fractious OPEC meeting in Vienna in late November ended uh, with the then Saudi oil minister, um, the great Ali al-Naimi, saying that no one else wanted to cut alongside Saudi. And so effectively, Saudi decided to let the market go. Uh, and then again in uh, the first quarter of 2020, uh, when we were just beginning to understand COVID-19 and the pandemic and the implications of lockdown, uh, Saudi Arabia also uh, was very keen to drive cuts. Uh, they couldn't bring the other uh, partners and member states and countries with them. And so effectively, they stepped away. And what occurred to me in seeing the recent examples was a question in my mind around whether or not we were watching something else unfold. It's very interesting because I was talking to a commodities trader. You know, he trades on his own account and I've known him for ages. He operates from the city of London. And he said, Lindsay, if you ever want a sort of 70% certainty of making some money, have a look for an OPEC plus cut. And when the cut comes, the market rallies. And as soon as the rally starts to show signs of stalling, get short of it because this is a sort of a, an organisation of countries that are uh, that is subject to fractures, let, let's put it that way. And that's a little bit unkind, a little bit cynical. But I do remember, I think it was the last one, you can correct me here, and of course you will, the cut was coming. Saudi Arabia was going to a cut and was committed to the cut. And I think the OPEC plus countries were expected to follow suit, but in a few months' time. And immediately Nigeria and Angola sort of uh, raised their eyebrows a bit. So it's not always a uniform approach, is it? 
It's not. I mean, OPEC has been around since the early 1960s and has had a very, very interesting, but at times challenging and, and quite fractious existence. And um, there's no escaping that. Um, at times, as a group, they've done a very good job of managing the market. Um, and at other times, uh, they haven't. And I think the observation that you relayed from your uh, other a trading contact is an interesting one. I mean, historically, if OPEC have been cutting and if Saudi, as the, the largest producer within OPEC, has been leading those cuts, uh, then you want to be on the same side. In other words, that has historically been supportive of prices. Um, but to come back to the question that we started on, I mean, where did this piece of research and this article come from? Where did it arise? It, it emanated from a view that we might just be beginning to see uh, some cracks appearing in, in, in the overall strategy. Um, and when cracks begin to appear and when they can't agree, particularly if they are in what I would call market management mode, um, if they are operating as a so-called central bank of oil, et cetera, if they can't agree on how to apportion those cuts and how to uh, drive those cuts and maintain them and keep the discipline, et cetera, then there have been historic incidences where Saudi in particular have said, you know what, this isn't working, people are cheating, quotas aren't being kept, et cetera, et cetera. We're just going to open the taps because ultimately, as the lowest cost producer, although it's not going to be universally popular, Saudi Arabia can afford to withstand a period of significantly lower prices than some of those other OPEC plus members. Yes, indeed. There are two other countries that we have to mention now, Tom. Russia, because of their ongoing need for foreign currency in order to support their so-called special military operation in Ukraine. That's the first one. This is my view, but a lot of people are saying that they would cheat on an OPEC plus agreement because they need the money so desperately. And also there's China, because China is a big variable because of its potential to swing it with its vast demand should its economy turn around. That's right. So if we think about the Russia part of all of this to begin with, and, you know, there were um, supporting statements uh, arose from the Russian oil secretariat uh, last week and through the beginning of this week. It, it's very, very difficult to um, gain any real comfort or confidence or clarity around that Saudi-Russia relationship. They famously fell out about oil supply numbers and production quotas in the early part of 2020, as I alluded to. And that saw a very, very rapid drop in oil prices from 50 or 60 down to 20 or so. They appear to be acting in concert and, and in collaboration at the moment. But I have always felt that that was an uneasy combination, if I can put it like that. The China question is also very intriguing. You asked a question earlier about why these were uneasy times in the oil market. It's proved to be an uneasy period for a lot of commodity markets for the simple reason that many of us expected this year, calendar year 2023, to be a year where we saw much stronger demand trends from China. You know, we began to form that view and that expectation around about October of last year as we began to get some visibility on reopening, etc., in China post obviously a very, very serious lockdown. Um, and broadly speaking, we haven't yet seen that demand uplift come through. 
Now, the International Energy Agency, in their June oil market report, are still forecasting that in the second half of the year, we're going to see this surge in Chinese demand and that global oil demand actually is going to grow by two to two and a half million barrels a day from last year's levels and move up through 102 million a day, etc. But there's a feeling beginning to move through the market of, you know, when are we going to see this? And we have been watching and waiting for this for quite some time. So as ever in the oil market, you've got uncertainties on both the supply and the demand side. Sentiment is pretty shaky. Um, but if we've learned anything over the years, it's that relatively small moves on supply demand can have outsized impacts. So we will be watching and waiting very carefully. Yes, the International Energy Agency, just to embellish your point, says uh, it continues to forecast a major upswing in global oil demand in the second half of the year, led by China. The June oil market report released in 2023 demand growth estimate to, as you say, 2.4 million barrels a day, with China accounting for 60 percent of the year on year increase. It seems that they're banking on a China recovery. Now, China recently cut its interest rate by a paltry, but nonetheless symbolic and significant, maybe a 0.1% down to 2.65%. So if it does turn around, then that swing factor uh, that equates to 2.4 million could actually uh, support the price and maybe even take it back up into the 90s or close to 100. So China terribly, terribly important outside of OPEC plus cuts. That's absolutely right. And I, I think you can't really get away from the, the China factor, the China effect in all of this. Um, of course, those who have a negative view on prices for the second half of the year, um, and this is where the argument gets very interesting and, and somewhat circular, will say that by virtue of the fact that OPEC plus have cut three times over the last eight months, there is a latent volume of, of oil supply sitting in spare capacity, uh, which can come back onto the market. In other words, the market can readily absorb um, a significant upswing in Chinese demand in the second half of the year in the event that that comes through. Um, so that's why that there is this feeling of, of slight unease, uh, of slight uncertainty. Uh, we could see an, an outcome where Saudi Arabia do lose patience with other OPEC plus members and decide to step back from guardianship of the market and oil could fall quite far, quite fast, I think it would be quite short-lived. On the other side, we could see a rampantly strong Chinese demand growth picture in the second half of the year, and actually oil could move really quite quickly from the 70s back up uh, into the upper 80s and 90s. So an intriguing moment, we feel. Yes, indeed. And you, you sound quite enthusiastic with your last sentence in your piece. It says it promises to be an exciting ride in the second half of the year. I'm not going to ask you to make predictions, but where are we now? When's the next Vienna Chenwag? Is it coming up soon? Yeah, they're there this week. Uh, it's not a traditional OPEC meeting in the sense that it's, it's tabled as a seminar. Uh, it also involves some heads of state uh, and some chief executives from leading uh, oil and gas groups. Uh, so it's not a, if you like, typical OPEC meeting where they will get around the table and talk about production levels and quotas. It's also noteworthy that major Western media organizations like Reuters and Bloomberg uh, have not been invited to this event. Um, that data point or that detail on its own also gave me pause for thought in the sense that it, it was potentially a signal that Saudi Arabia and other key producers 
um, maybe getting a little short-tempered or maybe getting frustrated, perhaps, with the way in which the market is not responding to their supply cut. So we will be watching very carefully for any signals coming out of uh, the OPEC seminar this week and, of course, going through the year. But I think it's a very interesting, it's a very delicate moment on both the supply and the demand side. We've seen some very high-profile uh, oil and commodity hedge fund managers who've been very long oil prices this year have had a very torrid time. Hmm. Uh, we've seen the sell-side investment banks, uh, broadly speaking, retrench a bit from fairly optimistic forecasts of 85 to $100 oil. Those forecasts have come in quite substantially. And as I say, it's going to be a very interesting three to six months from here. Tom, thank you so much for your excellent analysis. Tom Nelson is the head of thematic equities and co-portfolio manager of Global Natural Resources at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.